Welcome, welcome to today's episode of The Good Old Days. Today I will be joined by a fellow Toastmaster, Tanessa Philip, who would help me relive some of these fond moments. Well, Fred, it's a pleasure to be on your program today. Tanessa, it is my pleasure to have you here. Today, I live in an almost completely different world to the one that I grew up in. Growing up in Tamana, rural Trinidad, was truly a blessing to me. It was sheer bliss. We had no electricity, but standing under the moonlight of a full moon was really magical. Imagine that. There were no street lights or other artificial lights to diminish the splendor of the moonlight. Well, Fred, you juggle my memory there as you brought the reality of no electricity. I recall when I was growing up, we had regular power cuts in my community. During those times, my parents would have us under the moonlight as they related stories about their childhood. All our neighbors would be out too. I assume that they were doing the same thing in their yards as well. That memory is one of my fondest memories. <laughs> well, Tanessa, power cuts was the least of our problems. We used flamboyant petrol lamps to light our home. Torchlights were used to find things at night. We lived in our own self-sufficient bubble. And we learned about the outside world through our battery-powered radio and, believe it or not, a battery-powered television. Wow, a battery-powered television. Yes, I knew you would ask that question. A battery-powered television. Imagine this. A black-and-white 12-inch television where there were no electrical plugs to plug into a wall socket. Just two clamps to attach to a car battery. And when the battery started to die, two black lines would appear at the side of the television. And the picture would get smaller and smaller until there was no picture and the battery was dead. So we had to have a charger. And I remember putting this battery into the box cart. Right. And we had to go about a mile up to Housen Village by my uncle who had a charger, and then we put the battery to charge. Now, we had two batteries, so whilst one was charging, we would take the other and bring it and hook it up to the television. So we maintained that power of oh, our boy. television. <laughs> well, you painted a very clear picture there for me, Wilfred. You know, tell me more about this, um, your life growing up in Tamina. Well... I know that for one thing for sure is that it may be difficult for you to imagine life without electricity. Completely. Could you, could you imagine living life without any electrical lights, no AC or fan, no refrigerator, no electrical household appliances, no <laughs> microwaves, the iron to, to iron your clothes. Could you imagine that today? Well, I certainly can't imagine living 
a room and having my mother tell me to turn off the lights immediately. So I would say I'm pretty much without any lights there. So, well, that would be for a couple of hours, but back then it was right true. Also, there were no phones. No cell phones, no computers, no internet access in the village. Well, friend, I'm going to interject you there. That might just be a blessing for many people today. <laughs> well, you can say that, but uh, I tell you, if I ask my children or grandchildren, they would, they would beg to differ. <laughs> because these things that were once a luxury now seem a necessity. And mm -hmm. that... I have seen my children, they, they take their cell phone wherever they go. Imagine having a bath with your cell phone. <laughs> or going to the washroom with your cell phone. They are inseparable yeah. from their cell phones. Because basically those are mini computers which you could just make a call from. Mm -hmm. But back then in the village, I still recall... And it was so quiet, and that this is how we were able to do it because it was so quiet. I could recall here my mom saying, Why? Why? And then we would be at home, and somebody would say, Wait, 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 wait. Uh -huh. Somebody's calling. And then we would recognize the voice, and we say, Oh, so and so is calling. And then we will respond, Why? Why? So the, uh, the other person would know that. That is a form of acknowledging the call. Right. And then we would respond and go out to meet that person. I find that to be so efficient. I really like that story. Well, you know, many people may say, well, <laughs> is this Trinidad? <laughs> <laughs> but yes, it was Trinidad. But the communication back then was really Really, you had a lot more face-to-face -face communication. Mm -hmm. And I want to show you to a particular aspect of the village life back then. Mm -hmm. In that, when the neighbors passed, they would always drop by to share in some coffee. So it would go like this. My neighbor would be passing and my grandfather would say, Oh, neb, how are you going? And the neighbor would respond, I did, boy, poke poke, no beef. And then my grandfather would invite him for a coffee. And they would have this drink of coffee in these small enamel cups. Mm -hmm. And I am not talking about no instant coffee here. Right. I am talking about coffee that you had to boil. So that brought conversations while they sat over this. this exactly. So. And this coffee was homemade coffee that came from the land because we will pick these coffee beans, uh -huh. dry them, and we used to sell to the coffee agents. But we'd always keep a little bit back so that we can make our own coffee. And when you boil this coffee, then my grandmother would put it by the fireside for the whole day because it was so strong. All you needed to do was just add water and then you add your sugar. Okay. And you have your coffee. And that would serve for the day. And as neighbors pass by, she would just invite them I to I can share. imagine 
persons walking down the street being drawn in by that nice coffee aroma and the ability to just inhale it and bring up conversation that must have been something and pretty strong too i perceive that might have been a very strong coffee it was a way of life <laughs> <laughs> the thing about it is that with that sharing of coffee came many conversations so mm -hmm. they will they will eventually discuss what was happening in the village and okay. you know maybe what was happening with the with the cocoa crop or the coffee crop or the prices or things like that and this with the level of conversation and as i'm on that is that my grandfather was a logger so he a would logger. cut yes he would cut trees uh-huh and then he would sell the trees to the sawmill okay but the exciting part was i was always amazed by him right because as a child growing up he seemed so big and strong right and he had this big power so that when he started, it would make all these, this noise and be trembling. And I can even lift the power saw. And he would cut down these huge trees. Cedar, sip, mahogany, crapo, mora. And oh. then now, he had two bisons. You know what bisons are? Yes. Right. And he had a yoke that he would put around your neck. And then he would attach a log to that yoke. Right. And what? Come on, boy. And the bison <laughs> would drag those logs from the forest onto the roadside, waiting for the wardens to come and, come and stand them. And then it would be picked up by the log trucks. Right. And carried to the sawmill. Well, Fred, as you mentioned, that particular memory brings to mind that you mentioned mora, peak, mahogany. Many persons today get fooled by those different types of, of wood. But growing up, you would have been so familiar with it that it would have been natural to distinguish between the different types of trees. I could imagine not just lumber, but any particular type of tree you would have had experience Noting them, distinguishing which tree from the other. Exactly. And I always tell people, once you have lived something, you should be an expert at it. I like because that. that is knowledge gained through life. And that is why you're able to share it mm -hmm. with other people. Did your parents and grandparents share any other things than coffee when someone came over because i i must imagine while you're waiting for this coffee pot to finish boil or brew you might have eaten some sort of snacks or what kind of snacks you had back then there were lots of snacks there were lots of snacks but firstly there's always an offer of food and I remember my grandmom, although she wasn't East Indian, the neighborhood was basically East Indian. And she would prepare sararoti, pasapshat, dalpuri, and she would make all the different sides to go with it. And today we say sides, but back then we say talkari. Eh? <laughs> okay. And you would have your 
curried potatoes, cheap potato, aloo choker, edo's choker, your cabbage, pumpkin, body, same. No one am I vegetarian now. <laughs> and we only had meat on special occasions. And then okay. we would get a yard fowl, a duck, or some wild meat. Yeah. To go with that. But food was always offered. Because to offer someone food is really a blessing, really, to share in your success. And it is true over these conversations, many stories were shared. And at nights and evenings, they weren't all that, that many distractions. So there was lots of time on hand. And I remember we sitting in the kitchen with the flambeau there. And then the grandparents and could be living in an extended family. Uncles and aunts would be sharing stories about the larger bless right. and doing and sukrinia. Oh gosh. And you had to and we were all frightened. You know, looking back as at it <laughs> now it seems that it was a mean of means of ensuring that we didn't stray too far from the <laughs> house. So you know at night, you have to make sure that you're in the house at a certain time. Okay. And when you're coming in, you have to come in backwards. And all <laughs> these, all these things were shared with us. And because of the diet, we really, I can't recall seeing a, a, a fat person or really? oversized person, <laughs> except Give for their the muscles. <laughs> <laughs> except for their muscles, really. Right. In our village. And I guess there are two things that could account for that. First of all is the diet. Because there weren't much processed food in terms like sausages and all these things. In those times. Right. Yeah. So whilst it may have been available in the like out in Sangre Grande, the tongs and all that, growing up in Tamana in a little village, you go to the shop. Right. Right. And we have no refrigerator to store sausages and all that. So you had to buy things that were basically preserved. So, so we it talk was about sugar the, cakes and tollums. Was it those kinds of snacks? Well we had those snacks really and curried mango and red mango, red plum. But the famous thing was chow. Really? So you had like your you make chow with pom city, pomora cucumber you can make a chow with anything but you must have <laughs> your garlic and shadow benny black pepper and salt and just add anything sour to that <laughs> that sounds heavenly wilfred i can't imagine but that's what it is and in addition to that we had lots of fruits citrus pomeracks bananas palatas all the fruits you know what balata really... sounds exotic because I haven't seen a balata in years, even in the market. Well, if you drive up to the rural areas, even today, you would see them selling in little bags at an exotic price. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's so many fruits now that that are common to Trinidad and Tobago and the children simply don't know about them. So local fruits have now become exotic fruits and the foreign fruits have now become common fruits. Right. So apple is much more common 
than, than a mommy support. Than a mommy support. Tell us about a mommy support because I only recently learned about this this year. Well, I about two years ago I learned about this mommy support. I've always been hearing about it, but I never know. I never knew. And I went up to the land and I saw this strange looking fruit on the ground. Brown and nice. And I picked it up. <laughs> it's like a child picking up something strange and truly amazed at it. And I looked at it and I said to myself, you know, what is this? What is this? And my friends who were up on the estate with me, I carried it. They were close by and I said, you know, you all, what is this? And they looked at it. And one said, but this looks like a mommy seapot. I would say, mommy seapot? Is that really a mommy seapot? And she took out her knife and she stripped it, peeled it off. And there was this nice, lush, firm, yellowish flesh inside. Some might say it tastes similar to a pumpkin, but I always found that it tastes much more like a julie mango and much more firm julie mango well <laughs> it depends on your taste buds <laughs> <laughs> really because when i first tasted it tasted good and i am a person that i do not like too many strange things but when i had that it tasted so nice and we were at or at where did this come from at that point in time, we did not know what a mommy seaport tree looked like. And we were actually standing under two trees at that point in time without <laughs> knowing. Without knowing. And I was saying, you know, maybe some monkeys passing here with this and it dropped from one of them or somebody's passing through the land and it dropped from them. It was only the, the next year and we visited the area and we saw flowers on the tree and we said, tree is this? And then we see these little brown fruits coming out. Aha! Uh -huh. It does grow pretty big, right? These are the mom's support tree. It's a tree that it, it takes very long before it produces fruits. Uh, I, I did research it and I understand it. It takes up to 17 years before it starts bearing. Well, if I plant one now, I might not be around to, to reap it. <laughs> but that's, that's really wonderful, wonderful. What I like most about growing up in the village is that the natural beauty and the serenity. I am somewhat of an introvert, so I like quiet, peace, calm and serene. I always enjoy seeing the flowers of the Pui tree and the immortal trees and also the Pomera trees. And it is a sight to behold. I know you talk people when you go to the savannah and the pink puy or yellow puy is in its full blossom and you look on the ground, it's like a carpet. It is. It is a floral carpet. It's beautiful. And it's the same thing that happens with an immortal tree and a pomerac tree where the flowers decorate the ground below. It's really, truly an amazing 
sight. And that's really I love about it. And I really wish that children of today can just get a glimpse of that. To balance their life and appreciate nature. But join us on our next episode when we examine other aspects of village life. Thank you for being here with me today, Tanessa. It was a pleasure going down memory lane with you, Wilfred. So see you all next time when we examine the good old these.